If you have your Bibles, open them up to Joshua chapter 18, verse 7. We're just going to look at one verse today. Um, one verse here, but we hope you did bring your sword drill Bibles because we are kind of going all over the place. When you find that, I'm going to stand to honor the reading of God's Word. So remember what we're looking at. They've conquered the big part of the land. Joshua is now dividing the land up among the various tribes. The way it's supposed to work is the tribes are supposed to be go to the land where they're allotted and they're to conquer the people that are in those lands. And yet, here's what it says in Joshua 18 and verse 7. But the Levites have no part among you. For the priesthood of the Lord is their inheritance. And Gad and Reuben and half the tribe of Manasseh have received their inheritance beyond the Jordan in the east which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave them. The title of the message this morning is Moving Forward to a Better Inheritance. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. You are wonderful and amazing and awesome. You are far greater than our minds can comprehend. We ask you, O God, to open our minds to this. Lord, as we are in your word at various times and we read passages like Isaiah 6 or Revelation 4 that that give us these pictures of, of your greatness and of your glory, Lord, make those things be living and active so that our understanding of who you are and what you're like is is elevated. Father, we are flawed and we are so limited and and there is so much about you we don't understand and we ask for the Holy Spirit to to continually be opening our minds to your greatness, to continually be opening our minds to your majesty, to continually be opening our mind to your glory and your absolute worthiness of our giving our lives to you. Today as we have come here in this time, we, we want you to speak. We want you to speak from your word. We want your spirit to take this time and to use it to plow up the fallow ground of our hearts. To convict us, to challenge us, to encourage us, to equip us, to renew and restore our hope, to revive us. We don't want to leave here today and just have checked a box. Well, I went to church and now I've gone home. Let this be a time where we meet with a living God and our lives are different because of it. Let the Word challenge us. Let the Word change us. Let the Spirit take it and apply it in a personal way to our lives that we would know You were speaking to us as individuals, calling us closer to You, calling us deeper in You, calling us forward. Fill me with Your Holy Spirit and give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech. Guide me that I would not be a hindrance in any way to what you want said or what you want done. Have your way in every aspect of this service. We ask in the mighty name of Christ our Savior. Amen. You may be seated. So Joshua 18 and 7 tells us there are three and a half tribes who receive no inheritance in the promised land. They receive no land. Now, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, you know Reuben, Gad, half the tribe of Manasseh, have already received their inheritance of land, but they received it on the other side of the Jordan. Right? Remember, as they were getting close to, to going across into the promised land, Reuben, Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh went to Moses and they said, Hey, we've conquered all this land, and, and it's really good for animals, and hey, look, we have animals. Why don't you give us this land and we'll have nothing across the Jordan and we'll go across and help you fight and when the land is conquered and everything is done, then we'll go ahead and come back home. 
Moses said, okay, that sounds like a good idea to me. So they have received their land as an inheritance, but it's just not in the promised land. But this doesn't explain why Levi is excluded. Because Levi also is receiving no land in the promised land. And as Joshua divides up the land among the various tribes, Levi is going to be totally excluded. The exclusion of Reuben, Gad, half the tribe of Manasseh is different. With all the other tribes, there's going to be a section of the promised land that's going to be like Judah, Naphtali. Even Reuben and Gad have land assigned to them that will have their name attached to it. And they can say, this land, they can point to a section on the map and say, this land right here belongs to us. But not so with Levi. Now this doesn't mean they're not going to have a place to live. Uh, later chapters are going to tell us they're going to be given cities and some land for their animals. But with this, they won't all be together. The cities given to the Levites are, are spread throughout the land as a whole and not in one particular place. Every other tribe has to give up a, a portion of their land, has to give up some cities for the Levites to dwell. Now, the reason the Levites aren't receiving any land as their inheritance is because they're receiving a different sort of inheritance. Verse 7 says, for the priesthood of the Lord is their inheritance. Now, the priesthood had many duties. They would, uh, for the Levites, they would assist the priests who were the descendants of Aaron, also Levites, but specifically descendants of Aaron, who were the main priests. Um, and they would assist them in, in various priestly duties. They were going to be responsible for the care uh, and the transportation of the tabernacle, later the temple. They, they were sort of in charge of the sanctuary cities, which we'll actually talk about next week. And if you look at Joshua 21, you see specifically these cities are all throughout the nation. And it seems to be so they can be teachers of the law and sort of guardians of the faith. Right? They're going to be spread out. And they're going to teach people what the law has said, what God has done, and, and sort of push for orthodoxy uh, among the people. This was their inheritance from the Lord. The other tribes received land. Essentially, they received prosperity. But not so with the Levites. They received a job. What would be really a hard job, an often thankless job, as their inheritance. Why? We'll turn to Exodus chapter 32, verse 25 is where we'll start, where we'll pick up. Should be on page 70-ish in your pew Bible. Exodus 32. The story of Exodus 32 is one of the, the story of one of the greatest failures of Israel in the Exodus time. Moses goes up on the mountain to meet with the Lord. As Moses goes up on the mountain to meet with the Lord, he's there for an extended period of time. Time goes on and the people go to Aaron and they say, Hey, we think Moses is probably dead. You should be leader now. And since you're going to be the leader, I think you ought to make us a God. Not all these other nations, they have gods they can see and touch and look at. I think you should make us one. Aaron says, That's a good idea. Why don't you be all your earrings? And all your nose rings and all, all these little pieces of gold you have. And, and he fashions a bull. Golden calf is what we often call it. 
And he builds it and he fashions it and he, he delivers it to people and says, Behold your God. This is what Yahweh is like. And so the people begin to have a, a wild, debauchery-filled party. It angers the Lord who determines he's going to kill every single one of them and start over with Moses. Moses goes down from the mountain with Joshua. And he, where we're at is where he's picking up. Moses saw the people were, were naked, for Aaron had made them naked unto their shame among their enemies. Moses, who's also angry and has broken the Ten Commandments in the previous verses, stood at the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Let him come to me. Right, so who, who's choosing God? Who's going to choose the golden calf? Who's going to choose God? If you're on God's side, you come here. And it says, All the sons of Levi gathered themselves together unto him. And he said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Put every man on his sword, and go in and out from the camp, throughout the camp, and slay every man his brother, and every man his companion, and every man his neighbor. So if you're on God's side, here's what you're going to have to do. Choose God, put on a sword, kill the people that ain't on God's side. Just go through the camp, hacking people down in judgment from God. And the children of Levi did, according to the word of Moses. And there fell of the people that day, about 3,000 men. For Moses had said, consecrate yourselves today uh, to the Lord, every man upon his son and upon his brother, that he may bestow upon you a blessing in this day. So God, or Moses called the people, choose. Levi chose. God said, consecrate yourselves to the Lord, put on a sword, and go through the camp and do this. What I would have to imagine would be this terribly difficult thing to do. And Levi did it. They consecrated themselves to the Lord. They walked through the camp. They killed the people. Several thousand fell upon that day. And their reward, their reward was a blessing from God. They chose God, they consecrated themselves to God, and they were going to receive a blessing from God because of this consecration. Well, what was the blessing? Deuteronomy chapter 9, we're not going to go there, tells the story of Exodus 32. Then in Deuteronomy 10, Moses explains what happens after this incident. So at that time, the Lord separated the tribe of Levi to bear the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, to stand before the Lord, to minister to Him, to bless uh, in his name unto this day. Wherefore Levi hath no part or inheritance with his brethren. The Lord is his inheritance. According as the Lord thy God had promised him. That the blessing God promised the Levites. Is the ministry of the priesthood. This was their inheritance was the priesthood. Because of their choosing God on this day. Of their consecrating themselves to God. But to really understand how the priesthood, this ministry of the priesthood, is their, as their inheritance is a blessing, we need to really take a look at how the priesthood is described. Right? They are going to stand before the Lord. Well, they're going to carry the ark, which represented the presence of God. They're going to stand before the Lord to minister unto Him. And then at the last it says, the Lord is their inheritance. And when we jump to the book of Joshua, we find it similarly said in Joshua 13 and 33. But in the tribe of Levi, Moses gave not any inheritance for the Lord. God of Israel was their inheritance as he 
said to them. So here's how the ministry of the priesthood was a blessing and was their inheritance and was a greater inheritance. Because to God's way of thinking, the blessing of the ministry of the priesthood is God himself. They will bear the ark. They will just kind of live in the very presence of God. They will stand before the Lord and they will minister unto the Lord. And then the Lord Himself is a part of the inheritance they receive. So what, what's going to happen is, as they minister unto the Lord in this way, they are going to get to experience God in ways nobody else is going to. Right? Because keep in mind, in the Old Testament... God wasn't with everybody as He is with everyone now. now. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit did not indwell every believer as He indwells every person now. God, Jesus had not yet died. The veil separating the, the Holy of Holies from everything else had not yet been torn in half. And there was a, a wall of separation between a holy God and a sinful people. And the Levites would be the only people in the whole nation who would get to even come close to going through that veil. They would get to be with God, to experience God in ways no one else would. And so while everyone else got land and stuff, the Levites received God. And God is the better inheritance. God is better than land in stuff. So how does this apply for us? What does this mean for us? Well, our focus in the book of Joshua has been on moving forward. And as we think about the idea of moving forward, we need to answer some hard questions. And, and honestly answer what we expect. Right? Why are we moving forward? Now, I, I've, I've been trying to move forward in my life in various issues in various ways. Kelly and I have been talking about things and we're trying to move forward as a family. Trying to, to kind of maybe get the church and help us move forward as a church to do more of what God would have us to do. I, I hope you've been doing that in your life and with your family as well and, and with the church. But the question is, why? Why am I seeking to move forward and make changes in my life and not just do what I've always done? Why are you seeking to move forward in your life and in your family? Why is our church seeking to move forward? Uh, what are we moving forward toward? I mean, what's the end goal? When we arrive, how will we know? What, what is the point to which we're moving toward? And then, what is our reward? Because moving forward is hard. I don't know about you. But what, what I've been trying to do has been difficult to me. has been challenging to me in my life. What is the reward of doing the hard work of moving forward? What is the reward of, of doing the hard work and fighting the battles that it takes in order to move forward? Well, the question, I, another question I guess I want to think about is what if? What if Jesus is calling us personally? families and as a church to move forward following Him and what we're moving toward is Him. Just Him. Not, not more stuff. Not more comfort. Not more success by cultural standards. Not more ease. Not even a bigger church. Just more Jesus. 
More Jesus in our personal lives. More Jesus in our family. More Jesus in our church. Will we keep moving forward? If all we're moving forward toward. If the only reason we're moving forward. And the only reward of moving forward. Is Jesus. More of Jesus in our life. More of Jesus in our family. More of Jesus in our church. Is Jesus enough of a reason for us to do the hard work of moving forward? Is that, in our estimation, the better inheritance? I want you to look at another passage. This is really challenging. Uh, Just over Exodus 33, in fact. May not be on a different page. Exodus 33 and verse 1, right after the golden calf incident. And the Lord said unto Moses, Depart and go up the hence, thou and the people which thou hast brought out of the land of Egypt, and into the land which I swear unto Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob, saying, Unto thy seed will I give it. And I will send an angel before thee, and I will drive out the Canaanite, the Amorite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, Hivite, and the Jebusite, and unto a land flowing with milk and honey. But I will not go up in the midst of thee, for thou art a stiff-necked people lest I consume thee in the way. So right after the, the golden calf incident, here's what, here's what God says to him. You guys keep going. And, and I'm going to send my angel before you. And he's going to drive out all the people. I gave you promises. Every land in which, every place in which the sole of your foot shall tread that door. That's still true. I'm going to give you the land. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. I, I'm going to do all I promised and give you everything I said. So you, Moses, you take up and you guys all move on and I will make sure you still win and you still conquer the land. But, but I'm staying here. Right? I, I'm not going with you. You get everything, everything but me. Go ahead. What would you do? What would you do If God said He would give you everything He's ever promised you, everything His Word declares would be true, He would give you all the victory, all all of those things, except there would be no God in your life, no presence of God in your life. What would your decision be? With all of the, the prosperity and all the stuff and all of everything else, would that be enough? Or would you say, I I want God more than I want everything else? Well, we know what Moses' answer was. Look at verse 12. And Moses said unto the Lord, See, thou sayest unto me, Bring up this people. Thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me. Yet thou hast said, I know thee by name. Thou hast found grace in my sight. Now therefore I pray thee, if I found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way that I may know thee. And I may find grace in thy sight, and consider this nation as thy people. And he said, My presence will go with thee, and I will give thee rest. And Moses said, If thy presence go not with me, carry us not up from hence. Moses said, If you ain't going, I don't want to go. Moses was willing to forsake the promised land, the fulfillment of God's promises, the land of milk and honey. And really, if you think about it, what did a nation of slaves, how did they keep themselves going? God was going to come one day. 
And he was going to lead them out of Egypt by a strong hand. And he was going to take them into a land flowing with milk and honey. And he had promised their father, Abraham, all of these people, their whole lives, all they had looked for was one thing. God coming. God leading them into the promised land. And now... It's there. God says, I'm still going to give it to you. just I'm not going with you. And Moses says, no. No. I, I would rather have you than what I've dreamed about my entire life. I would rather have you than what was the hopes and the dreams of everyone I have ever known all of my life. My great-grandparents lived and dreamed of this day, but I would forsake that to stay here with you, O oh God. I just want you. So again, I ask, what would we choose? Uh, let me propose a, a hypothetical. Imagine the back doors open and Jesus walks in. And not some weirdo dressed like Jesus. I mean, we were just like John in the book of Revelation. We were struck down in awe knowing it was Jesus. And He gave us a choice of how the next 14 months of our lives would go for us as individuals, for our family, and for our church. Choice A, an easy year. No hardships, no conflict, no sickness, no problems. Financially, we would prosper. Physically, we would be in health. Relationally, we would be content. It would be a time of ease and comfort and prosperity for us as individuals, for our families, and even for our church. And as we exited 2021 and entered 2022, we would have noticeably more in all of these things, but we would also have noticeably less Jesus in our lives, in our family, and in our church. That's choice A. Choice B... Is more difficult. There will be hardships. Not there might be. There will be. There will be conflict. There will probably be sickness. And there will certainly be problems. Finances will not be so secure. Physically we may not be quite so healthy. Relationally we won't be so content. We will have problems there. It will be a time of difficulty. A time of stress. And we will end the year less financially prosperous than we are right now in our personal lives in our families, and in our church. And though we had noticeably less stuff, we have noticeably more Jesus in our lives, in our families, and in our church. What would you choose? What would I choose? What would we choose? Now, right now, some are pushing back, saying, well, Jesus... He would never make us choose between Him and stuff. He would never give us a choice along those lines. And I want to propose to you, He absolutely would. Let me show you. Consider the rich young ruler coming to Jesus, wanting to know how to inherit eternal life. To which Jesus first says, keep the commandments. The guy said he has. Then Jesus says then, sell all that you have. Give every penny of it to the poor. And come, follow me. And he would receive Jesus. And he would receive 
treasures in heaven. So the rich young ruler had a choice before him. He could have Jesus and treasures in heaven, or he could have his stuff, but he could not have both. Of course, you know the story. The rich young ruler walked away sad because he had great possessions. He chose his stuff over Jesus. Now, something interesting that I think we have to realize in this. When he turned and began to walk away, Jesus didn't take him and say, wait, 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 wait. Sell half your stuff. Sell, sell 10% of your stuff. I, I tell you what, just, just make a good offering to my coffers and that'll be okay. Jesus did not change his demands at all. He let the man walk away and miss eternal life, treasures in heaven, and Jesus himself. And he looked at his disciples and he said, how hard it is for a rich man to go to heaven. The man had a choice. He stuck with Jesus. Well, that's just that guy. I mean, that was just one person who, who had a problem with covetousness. We're, we're in America. We don't have problems with covetousness in America. And, and so that would never be anything for us in our day. But but consider, consider the Apostle Paul who before he came to know Jesus came from a wealthy family. He was rich. He was increased in goods. He was on the fast track to success with his job. He was respected in his Jewish community. He had been to all the best schools and he had all the best stuff. And then when he came to Jesus, he lost it all. Doubtless I count all things but loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. Now, when Paul said loss of all things, he truly meant all things. It was very common for someone like Paul, when they converted to Christianity, their family to disown him. He lost his family wealth. He lost his family name. He lost his job, his reputation in the community. He lost all of those things. And he lost it, and all he gained, all he gained in for, for that exchange, for that loss, was Jesus. Count them all that lost the excellence and knowledge of the Lord for whom I suffered the loss of all things. He lost everything, and what he got in its place was Jesus. Just Jesus. Not more money, not Job, right? Not Job who got ten more kids and get and got twice as much stuff at the end of it. No, no, that's not what Paul got. Paul just got Jesus. And sufferings and hardships and fastings and beatings and imprisonment. And eventually beheaded. But not only did Paul lose those things, Paul tells us his attitude about it. He counts everything he lost as dumb. That's pretty bad. That's how worthless Paul thought of everything else in comparison to Jesus. So imagine, Paul has all of this stuff. Everything the world could offer you. Everything the world could offer a young Jewish man in his prime. Here it is, it's piled up. And then there's Jesus. And once he sees Jesus, he doesn't see this valuable stuff. He doesn't see it as worthy and great. It's not even a choice. It's not hard. Rather, than he can, he can lose this and gain Jesus. Well, in that case, this is just a pile of manure. 
It's junk. It's nothing. It's rubbish. It's worthless. That's how incomparably great Paul saw Jesus. But wait, you say, it's just Paul. I mean, Jesus would never teach. We have to do anything like that. Except, Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is locked into a treasure hidden in a field in which a man has found he hideth for joy thereof and goeth. Selleth all that he hath and buyeth the field. So the kingdom is like a, a dude who finds a treasure in a field. And he comes across and there it is. He doesn't own this field. There's this treasure. He has a choice. He can go tell the owner about the treasure and say, can I buy the field? Or he can hide the treasure and he can go buy the field. But the cost of the field, to buy the field and get the treasure, it is equal to everything he has. He has to liquidate his home, all of his clothes, everything. Everything he has. He has to sell all of it. Everything. The clothes he's wearing is all he gets to keep as he sells to buy the field. And when he gets the field, he gets the treasure. What does he do? He sells all that he has in order to get the treasure in the field. And he does it with joy. He, he, he doesn't walk around and like, why did I have to find the treasure? Stupid treasure. No, he's, he's excited. He's losing everything, but look at what he's getting. Well, what do we think the treasure is? Wealth and stuff? Prosperity and fame? Ease and popularity and comfort in this life? Of course that's not what it is in the kingdom. It's Jesus. Jesus is the treasure in the field. The very next parable tells the, the same thing again in a different way. A, another guy is a pearl merchant. And he trades in expensive things all the time. But then he finds one pearl. And it's of great price. It's worth more than any pearl he's ever found. And the only way to buy it is to sell his ships and his homes and his business and his clothes and his animals and everything. And when it's through, all he has left, he doesn't have a home to live in, a ship to travel in, food to eat, but he has this pearl. Well, again, what do we think the pearl is? The pearl is Jesus. And he sells everything he owns so he can acquire the pearl. And then Jesus made this statement. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, cannot be my disciple. Man. You should read that whole chapter, John 14, or Luke 14, I'm sorry. We don't have time to go there. Strong, strong words by Jesus. Right, take time today, this week, and read it. But, but let me say this carefully because I'm not trying to be hateful. Don't read it and say, well, that was then. Read it like Jesus is speaking to you. Read it like Jesus knows how to communicate and can say what He means. And Jesus is the kind of person who means what He says. And what He says is that if we're not willing to forsake all we have, we can't be His disciple. 
So the idea of losing everything to gain just Jesus. It's not an isolated idea. It's not something I came up with. It is found all through the Bible. And it's not presented as a good idea. It's not presented as this is something you should think about doing. Jesus presents it as this is what it takes to follow him. That if in other places, he says, if we love father or mother or home or land or any of these things more than we love him, we're not even worthy of being. He's actually very, very clear. Jesus is the greater inheritance. Jesus is the priceless treasure. Jesus is the pearl of great price. Jesus is worthy of our forsaking all to follow Him. Jesus is so much greater than all of our wealth and stuff. Our wealth and stuff is but dung in comparison to Him. Everything is done in comparison to Jesus. So when we talk about the idea of moving forward and and why and where, what's the reward? As individuals, as families, and as a church, we move forward following Jesus so we can experience more of Jesus. That's the end goal. That is our inheritance. And it is the greater inheritance. Anything we may have to forsake and lose in this life in order to follow Jesus and be His disciple is but dung in comparison. Jesus is the greater inheritance. This morning we sang... A song, I'd Rather Have Jesus. It's one of my very favorite songs. But have you ever thought about what we were saying when we sing that song? Look at the first verse again. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. Do you? Would you? Would you rather have Jesus than piles and piles? Of silver and gold. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. If you could have all the wealth to do all the things this world offers without without questioning, without fearing, you could get your own plan. I mean, just anything you want to do, it's like a thought in your head. I, I want to eat breakfast in France and I want to eat supper in Italy and I want to spend the night. In Bulgaria. You just got your plane and you go. You have all of that wealth. But would you rather have Jesus than that much wealth? I'd rather have Jesus than houses and lands. I'd rather be led by His nail-pierced hand. Now that line right there all by itself is pretty challenging. A nail-pierced hand. Doesn't that give us the impression that following that nail-pierced hand is probably not the path of life, of ease, comfort? Maybe not prosperity? 
and health. The one who, when people wanted to follow him, he said, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man doesn't have a place to lay his head. Doesn't the one who was beaten and died on the cross, isn't it likely the path he's leading us on isn't a path of ease and comfort, but it is a path of difficulty in seeking to do his will? Would we rather be led by his nail-pierced hands no matter where that nail-pierced hand leads us or what that nail-pierced hand leads us to do? Did you mean those words when you sang them this morning? Did I? Did we? Or were they just words? Let me close with a story. It's one of my favorite stories. It's a true story. About a couple of men who understood Jesus was the better inheritance. He was the priceless prize. He was the pearl of great price. And he was worth forsaking all. Around 250 years ago, two young Morovian men heard of an island in the West Indies, which was basically owned by one plantation owner. He was extremely rich. And he owned thousands of slaves. He was known to be a violent man who treated his slaves with contempt. He also hated Christianity and wanted nothing to do with it. And would not allow any Christians on his island. In fact, he reportedly said, No preacher or clergyman will ever step foot on this island. If he's shipwrecked, we'll keep him in a separate house until he has to leave. He's never going to talk to any of us about God. I am through with all that nonsense. These two men were so burdened by this tale and this reality. They sold themselves into slavery so they could go live among these slaves in an effort to tell them about Jesus. The family came to see them off on the docks because they knew they would probably never see them again. They would likely die in slavery. The men had sold themselves not into indentured servitude, but into lifetime, lifelong slavery. And as the ship pulled out, the young men cried the last words their families ever heard from them. May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. I wept the first time I heard this story. Because their love and devotion for Jesus amazed me. They gave up their wealth and their stuff. Do you know about the Moravians? They lived in a kind of comfortable life in Hernhood. They gave up their family. They gave up their freedoms. So they could go and tell people about Jesus. Who was the priceless prize and the pearl of great price. To them, Jesus was more than their freedom. Jesus was more than their stuff. Jesus was more than their very lives. This is how I want to see Jesus. Now in our culture, it seems strange to view Jesus as greater than our family, our freedom, and our lives. But as we see from Scripture, this is how the Bible says we should see Jesus. This is how disciples of Jesus are meant to see Him. So as we come to the end of the message, 
question is, is that how you see him? Is that who Jesus is to you? Now, if not, we shouldn't like feel guilty or filled with self-condemnation. Because guilt doesn't really bring any change into our lives. Instead, guilt motivates us to do just enough to ease our conscience. And when our conscience has been eased, we go right back to the same old routine. Self-condemnation doesn't bring change either. Instead, in an odd way, self-condemnation feeds our own self-righteousness. It puts all the focus on us and on what we're not doing. And then when we start to do something a little different, we say, look at me. I'm glorious and awesome. So if we look and say, I don't think I could say, may the Lamb that was slain receive the reward of His suffering. I don't think I see Jesus quite as the priceless prize, as everything else is done in comparison to Him. The response is to just go to the cross. To go to Jesus and say, forgive me. Forgive me for my small view of you. Forgive me for thinking dung is more important than you. Forgive me for emphasizing and focusing on things that are not you. Give me the grace I need to change me in this moment. Give me the grace to see you as the priceless prize to where I would joyfully lose all my possessions and all that I have just to gain more of you. What we're going to do is just have a time to pray this morning. I'm going to pray over here. If you want to come to the altars, you can. If you want to pray where you are, we're going to have a time of prayer. And then we'll close.